Good morning. How's everybody this morning? You're not very excited. The Badgers did win, right? But I just want to be very aware. Any LSU fans in the room? Anybody? No, they've driven back already, right? They're already driving home. Hey, uh, I've been gone for about two and a half weeks uh, doing a couple things. I finished a study break. I'm going to share about that this morning. Uh, very different than my stroll in Fraser Park, Colorado on trails. Uh, I was in downtown Los Angeles, about four or five blocks from Skid Row. And uh, just some profound moments for me in studying and, and uh, that. But also a big transition for Trish and I. Uh, we dropped off our last daughter to college and now are officially empty nesters. Now we have like rooms that get shut down and we're like, how can we turn off the heating and cooling in that room, right? It's like, anybody with me, yeah? Yeah, sanitize the room, don't touch it, leave it alone. We don't have to clean it for months, right? Yeah. Uh, that transition is going to be interesting for us. I mean, obviously we miss our, our girls, but uh, what, a, what a great privilege to be able to do that. Um, there's two transitions uh, that are happening on our staff that I want you to be aware of that are just, uh, you know, uh, some of them are, are ones that are hard. Then there are some that are very, we could celebrate because just they're, they're great transitions and they're, we need to celebrate what they've done here. Uh, Cindy Vandermoss has worked with us for over 11 years, and she's been a champion staff member. And so we just wanted to thank her for years of service, and she's just been amazing. Um, they're not leaving the area uh, or the church um, at this point. It's just more of a transition in life. And then another fella, little kind of hobbit-like guy, Danny Lewick. He's been here over 11 years. He's right there. He's, he's one of our tech guys. Wave, Danny. If you could see him, if you could see him. So thanks, Danny. Danny's also making a big life transition, and uh, we're just excited about those. And, you know, I just want to make sure you understand that leaving isn't always negative. Uh, and often, in the ways that God shapes us, he's going to call us to leave something. And uh, it's, it's a good season for both of them, and, and we just want to thank him for that. Hey, I want to pray this morning, and I want to dive straight into where we're heading. God, you are a great God. And, and Lord, there is none like you. I think of Scott and Jean this morning and their family and the profound change you have taken them on their journey. Uh, even the analogy, Lord, as Scott shared this morning, getting a divine lottery ticket. And God, that you've uh, cashed in something for his eternity, their eternity, that could never be paid uh, here on this earth. God, we thank you for that. There is none like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am excited this morning to kind of just share with you again, a little bit like on my first study break, some of the things that God's laying on my heart. And, you know, often, often I've never done these study breaks before, ever. Uh, I've never done that. Now, I study, just so you know. I do study and take breaks to study. But not like I have a week uh, just to read and study and, and think about what God has next. And I picked a very different environment, um, a little bit kind of partnered up with what I was going to do in L.A., but I stayed in my my daughter and son-in-law's home, actually it's, not a, it's like a house, but it's a high-rise in L.A. And I was literally five blocks from Skid Row. And I'd get a backpack on, 
in the morning and walk around the city and I'd go to the public library and I would just, it was very intri intriguing for me and, and what, very different than in Colorado, right? Where, you know, the moose are celebrating God, everybody's praising God, except um, in the city it's just very different. But what I'm led to talk to you about this morning comes out of two texts and we'll hit those in a minute, but it's this idea of uh, the whispers of God and how God changes the direction or the trajectory of your entire life. So to, to illustrate this, I need some kids this morning. I need like five kids this morning. Can I get five kids up here this morning? Come on up. Come on up. You can come on up. Five kids. Yes, you come on up. Oh, yeah. Come on up here. All the way up on stage. Yep. Yep. Come up here. I'll, I'll sure I'll take whatever's standing right now. That's it. That's all I need. All right. We haven't gone to numbers yet, right? We haven't. Learn to count. Okay. Here we go. Why don't you stand right here? What's your name? Evan. Evan, I dig your hair. Um, right there. Stand right there, would you? Right here. There you go. Perfect. You look so pretty. What is this? Who is that? Which the Disney character? Oh, looks so pretty. And matching the cast. Very good fashion statement. I love it. No, fist? There you go. Thank you. Ice cream. I like this. That's very nice. Uh, over here, yes, you're, yes, I like your outfit too, I do, and yours, and dudes don't say outfits, just, we just do that. There you go, awesome, all right, why don't you stand over here in the end. All right, so, um, we're about to do an illustration now, so, all right, we're ready? Basically, in a day, an adult makes 35,000 decisions. It's very interesting, studies show that, they, that we make 35,000 now, as kids, you make about 3,000, so that's okay. We're not saying that's bad, but we're just, you're, you're developing that. Now, decisions can range from what should I wear today, right, right? Um, or what should I eat? Should I turn right? Should I turn left? Should I have this conversation? What should my to-do list do? Uh, all these are decisions that we make in a day. But what I want to propose to you this morning is... Uh, and I'll ask the question in a minute in a slide, but how, what basis do you make these decisions? And are decisions changing any of the trajectory of your life? So, if, can you hold on to this? You've got to maybe wrap around your wrist a little bit. There you go. Just hold on to it because you're going to be tempted to let go. All right, so what's your name? Jack. Jack. Hold that straight up in the air. Just hold it straight up in the air. If every child was like a, a decision that you made, so like Jack represents a decision that you made, and maybe not a small decision, but a, a life-altering decision. We just heard one this morning. Uh, Scott got an invitation. The invitation was a decision someone had to make, right? That was life-altering for someone else, but by accepting, like, I need to now attend this with my wife, that was a life-changing, altering decision decision. Uh, there you go. Would you hold that one really low, right? Decisions, we'd like to think that our life just runs in a straight plane and it's really easy, but grab onto the string, kids, and hold it in a different direction. There you go. Out. Maybe you hold it out. Yeah, just hold it. Yeah, well, sure. There you go. However you want to. We're good. Yeah, right? So we'll, we'll finish up with Jack here, but you see that decisions are going to change the direction. Do not hurt yourself up here. I'm not insured for that. Um, but decisions will change the trajectory of your life. You have choices every moment of every day. 
My question this morning is, where, how are you basing the decisions? Where, do the, where does the, the voice come from that's helping you make decisions? All right, let's thank these kids before they harm themselves. Thank you, guys. Give me five. Give me five. There you go. You like the stage, I can tell, one day. There you go. Very beautiful. Good choice in outfit today. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. I love the hair. Um, each moment of every day, we are offered several choices that can alter the direction of our lives. I want you to think for a moment, big decisions. And you may think some of the decisions you make in a day aren't really that big, but I would say to you today, maybe they're bigger than you realize. Maybe an invitation sitting on your refrigerator for something is bigger than you realize. Maybe a choice that you're not ready to make yet, but you don't even realize the significance and how it will change the trajectory of your life. I want to talk about this this morning because I want to ask you the question, how do you make these decisions? Now, this is, this is coming out of a, a lot for me, and so this morning is not one of these really polished one, two, three, here it is, and you get this great challenge at the end, and you know, wow, that was awesome. It's a little bit of, of kind of the mess coming out of my study break, and I've been wrestling with a few things. One, we spend a lot of time around here doing a lot to make this environment and other Wednesday nights and other environments uh, help people make decisions that are moving them towards Christ. And sometimes I get that feeling like, is it helping at all? Does, does, it, does it help people at all? Is it helping people hear the voice of God in these different spaces? Because I'm not the voice of God, and I can't make that happen for you. So how are they making their decisions? And really, we're just trying the best we can to be an assistance to, as the Scripture will call, a paraclete. Someone to kind of walk alongside you. Um, as the Scripture also says about to, uh, that our role on staff and volunteers is to equip the saints, to, to help equip you to do the work of the ministry. So it's, it's that attempt. I want two passages this morning, though. I want to help kind of give some insight on and some observation. One is from 1 Kings, and it's the story of Elijah. Now let me just give you a picture about the story of Elijah. Elijah is a prophet of God in the time in Israel where there's good kings and bad kings. Now we're in a bad king era, King Ahab, who marries Jezebel. Anybody heard the name Jezebel? Now, Jezebel, if you're called a Jezebel of modern day, it's not a good term, right? It's uh, not good at all. Do you know that actually th there's such a secular reality of how evil this queen was? They named World War II bombs called Jezebels. They were called Jezebels. This just gives you a picture of the darkness of who she is. She brought with her, because she wasn't from Israel, 400 prophets of Baal and uh, 450 prophets of Baal, and then 400 prophets of Asherah, all pagan gods, brought them into the temple. Uh, this King Ahab just tolerated it, and she would wine and dine them. All along, they were trying to kill any of the prophets of God and end their journey. This is a very dark time in Israel's history. So we find ourselves, Elijah, uh, in 1 Kings 18, is going to have what we call the WWE or WWF, it's like the worldwide wrestling event of the century with good and evil. 
It says, Now summon all the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezreel's table. This is Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Elijah saying this, saying, Let's all meet at Mount Carmel. Now, some of us have been to Israel a couple times. We have sign-ups for the trip we'd like to take um, in February. But we get to go to Mount Carmel. And it, it's, it's quite a large mountain and a long drive. We get to this, uh, this, this large uh, kind of cathedral up there. But it's where this was like this major event where good and evil were going to finally have it out. And so Elijah sets this up. And it says, so Ahab sends the word throughout all of Israel, and all who could make it up to Mount Carmel got up to this place, all of the nation of Israel, waiting to see who's going to win out. Elijah goes before the people and says this, how long will you waver between two opinions? Now again, I'm saying this morning, I'm going I'm to just stop on a couple of these points, because this was really impacting for me when I read this. Because it's easy for me to think that he's talking just to the nation of Israel about the prophets of Baal and about God. If, it's, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. But I can't help think about, do we today, do I waver between two opinions? I mean, how easy it is for us today, as we make decisions daily, to live in two, a world of two opinions, what does the world say I should do? What does God say what I should do? What do I think I should do? What does God say that I should do? And I realize I'm not much different maybe than the nation of Israel at this point, living in a world of two opinions. Now I'm just asking you the question this morning. Maybe you're saying, no, 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 not me. I'm 100% whatever God wants. I think sometimes the passages are there that we've, we've, eliminated the impact of what they could be. I see myself often wavering between two opinions. The Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, then follow him. So Elijah says this, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut up to pieces, put wood on it, and then set fire to it. And I'll prepare one. And he's basically going to say, the God who answers with fire, he is God. Let me illustrate they're, the prophets of Baal, these 850 prophets, are now going to set up a bowl, an altar, wood, stones, and they're going to pray that their god or gods would set fire to the sacrifice. 850. Elijah, one, is going to set up the same thing, and we're going to see he's going to actually one-up them, or two-up them, or three-up them. He's, he's going to change the odds because he's going to dump water all over it and he's going to say the same thing. Whatever God lights their sacrifice on fire wins. I mean, this had to be, again, another great movie scene. If you're a producer, go take it. It would be a great one. So they took the bull given to them and they prepared it and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered and they danced around the altar they had made. Uh, it says later in the text that they actually were, were beating themselves and they're just they're crying out. Now, we get the first scene of, you know in sports when there's taunting? You want to know where that came from? It came out of 1 Kings. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. And he's starting to taunt them. Shout louder. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. 
Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. This is classic. This is Elijah talking trash to the prophets of Baal. But again, think about the scene. One prophet. 850 prophets. Evil against good around a whole nation. We could, just, we could stop this morning, and, and this might be a great story to unpack a whole series with, because sometimes we feel like the odds are really against us, don't we? Think about that. And everybody's just waiting to see which God will win. Answer me, Lord. This is Elijah now, because they've failed. Now know that he had four jars of water poured on, not once, not twice, but three times so much The wood is drenched. There is water in the trench all around the sacrifice. No way you can take a match to this thing. There's no magic tricks you could do to make this thing light up. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you are Lord, our God. And that you're turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Wouldn't that have been amazing? This is like, again, if there's a video room in heaven, I want to sit in this and watch this. Fire fell from heaven. Not only did it burn up the sacrifice, not only did it burn up the wood, it started to burn and deteriorate the stones, and then it started to burn all of the soil, and then it burned all the water. I mean, it had to be an amazing sight And could you just be like people going, oh, the prophets of Baal, Uh uh-oh. It says that that once that happened, Elijah shouted, this is the God, and said to the nation of Israel, seize these prophets of Baal and Asherah, and they killed them, all of them, 850. So the tide turns. Now, this is not the text I want to sit in, but I want to set context because so interesting what can change so fast for us. It says that now Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword, these 850. So Jezebel sends an email or a text to Elijah. May the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that one of them. In another way to say it, if I don't kill you tomorrow, may the gods kill me. I mean, if, if you were Elijah, or even around that moment, would this text or email, email change anything in your journey? It does for Elijah. It says that Elijah was afraid. Not only that, he ran for his life for miles. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He released his servant because he said, it's over. You don't have to serve me anymore. He realizes or he's fearing that his life will be over. He says, while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down underneath it, and prayed that he might die. It says that he starves himself probably better put more in a secular way. He wants to kill himself. He's going to starve himself to death. Does that sound like this godly man, this godly prophet that had this amazing event unfold from 850 
prophets that he just showed up or God just showed up for him to take on them. The whole nation of Israel is watching. I mean, this is victorious. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. I realize how, as I was on my study break, how one text or one email or one event, despite what God has already done, can throw me into fear. Are you like me at all? It's so quick. We shift so quickly from God is great, God is good, look what he's done for us, he's, look what he's provided, look how he's healed us, look how he's, he's, he's answered this prayer, and in a moment's notice we can find ourselves running and wanting to be done with life. So there he went into a cave and spent the night. And it says in their text, I'm not going through the whole passage, but he was actually fed twice by an angel. An angel kind of goes, hey, wake up, dude, eat. You're not done. The Lord appears to Elijah, and the word of the Lord came to him. He says, what are you doing here? Elijah, what, what are you doing? What is it you're really doing? The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain. I want you to, to walk out of this cave, and I want you to, in the presence of the Lord, I want you to stand on this mountain in the presence of the Lord, for I'm about to pass by. I want you to experience something. My first observation just in this, for me, is we think about the whispers of God and how do we make decisions for our life is that often God calls us away from where we're comfortable. He calls us out of the caves of comfortability, of self-pity, of pleasure, of sin. He calls us out of the cave. Troy, what are you doing? Get, get out of that cave. I'm, I'm, about, I'm about to walk by. I'm, a, I'm about to show you again who I am and what I'm about. It says that as, as Elijah is standing there, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. I mean, we're watching weather patterns that tear up cities and communities. But have we ever seen a wind so powerful that it tore mountains apart and shatters the rocks before the Lord? But the Lord wasn't in the wind. It says, after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. It says, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire... And Elijah heard it. It says he pulled his cloak over his face and he went and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? God often calls us out of these caves of comfortability, something uncomfortable to call you out of, to hear his whispering voice. But he, his voice often comes from unfamiliar places or circumstances. Isn't it true? I don't know if this is true for you, but it is for me. Sometimes I look for them in the wind. I look for them in the earthquake or the fire. They have to be these big things. And I, I found it was very interesting when I told people I'm going to my second half of my study break and I'm going to downtown Los Angeles. Like, what? 
I mean, Colorado, like, right, where the earth shouts out his glory and the moose pray and the raccoons are fasting and, you know, everybody's worshiping God in the wilderness, right? How are you going to hear the voice of God in that place? I, uh, I put on my backpack and I'd walk through the city and I tried not to drive too much because driving takes most of your life away in Los Angeles. Um, but I was super fascinated about how many homeless people were there were. There was, there was hundreds, hundreds. And every day I'd see many of the same ones, but hundreds. What I was profoundly impacted by, and I felt a whisper that struck me deep is I remember watching this, this older man, and he didn't necessarily look so disheveled, like, ah, that's a homeless person. You might mistake him just for someone older. And he, he was, had his arm around a gal that had a walker and had some stuff in there, and it'd be hard-pressed even to know if she was fully homeless, but then I realized they were. He was talking with her. It's so, he was calling her by name. It's so good to see you. And she was talking about her dancing career, and they are walking slowly, and I was behind him and kind of trapped by just you know, a lot going on, but they're walking down, and he says, so good to see you. He's rubbing her back and says, I, man, maybe I'll see you tomorrow, and they part ways. And what hit me is how these people that are hurt and broken are real people. Now, I know it's easy to say that from up here, but you know the whisper I heard? The whisper for me was, do I know those people here in Green Bay? See, it's, it's easy for me as a pastor to go, well, we build a care center. And so hurt and broken people could go there, and we help out a lot of people in uh, ministries. And as we watch that Tim Keller video of justice and ministry, or justice and mercy, how am I embodying that? I heard that whisper again saying, I, I need to dive in. How am I diving in? There's a brokenness in our city, and I started to fall more in love, honestly, with Green Bay, the brokenness of Green Bay, the hurt, the loss, the people in need. And not just as, as, as we hear that we're, to, we're mandated by Scripture to be, to be generous with everything we have to give to them, but also to give them hope of Christ. And it's so it's, it's to, as Paul says, the prayer to have a door that opens that we can say, man, do you know Jesus? God's voice often comes from unfamiliar places. He spoke in the middle of a city, in the middle of heat and, and busyness and craziness and crime and, and hurt and brokenness. I heard his voice. How can we hear his whisper this morning? How do we hear God calling us out of the caves of being comfortable wherever that might be, because he's going to do that in your life. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, friends, you're going to get called out of the cave. If you're a follower of Jesus, he, he's going to speak to you in a very unfamiliar setting. And it won't necessarily be in your favorite chair, looking out your favorite window, listening to your favorite worship music, right? And seeing that beautiful scene of the turkey go through your yard and the birds, right? I set that scene up for myself. But I think it takes our hearts being in tune in a different way. And I think God can speak and whisper that powerful whisper that causes us to worship him. 
that whisper can come wherever you're at. And I think it's going to come in those most unfamiliar places. But how do we tune into that frequency? I want to now turn into Ephesians chapter 3. The reason I want to go there is, uh, as I was on the phone talking to some of our team, and they said, Troy, you might want to watch the video we use for our staff development. We do staff development every Thursday morning for our staff, and sometimes devotions, sometimes we watch videos. And they had watched a Francis Chan video that I had not heard yet, and I had shared uh, where I was at. And they said, oh man, you got to watch that, because it's right in line with what you're thinking. Isn't it true? God often, it's not just one person. We're all being moved in a direction that God's taking us. And we're hearing it from different places. His whisper is hitting us. And so sure enough, as I watched that, I thought, wow. And he lands us in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. That's dealing with adversity, evil, uh, a, a government that's corrupt. Paul says, for this reason... Can I give you a hint in interpreting Scripture? When you see for this reason, you need to read what's before it. Now the problem is Paul keeps saying this, so you're going to have to pretty much read the whole book of Ephesians. So there you go. Because before Ephesians 3 is Ephesians 2, we know the famous passage, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. So Paul says, for this reason, because of that grace, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, he's calling himself a prisoner of Jesus. For the sake of you Gentiles. Wait a second. That sounds odd. Aren't I a Christian for my salvation? Don't I become a Christian so that I'm saved and it's all done and I just wait for him to show up? Paul just gives us an insight. It's more than just for me. He says it this way in verse 2. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. What does that mean? Let me give it to you this way. Administration also could be translated stewards. Surely you've heard that about the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Do you realize here that Paul's saying, he's not saying I was given a bunch of money that I'm supposed to give away. Because we, we tend to as Christians and churchgoers often think that the church is just out for that or God's out for that. No, no, no. Paul's saying, surely you've heard about the administration or the stewardship of God's grace. The inner gift that I gave you, you're to give away. If God gave you the gift of bringing gentleness and peace and patience and kindness, how are you giving it away? If He gave you hope, and a happiness by, by answering and filling, as, as Scott said, is, is filling a, a, a space in your life with a new hope of Jesus Christ. Are you giving it away? You're a steward of that to give it to somebody else. Wow. We often just think it's about writing a check or, or giving some time as a volunteer when Paul's saying, no, no, this is about you stewarding the hope of Christ. Are you giving it away? That, friends, I have to tell you, there's two places in our church that I'm most excited about right now. Not that I'm not excited about Sundays or any of that, but I just, I, I gotta confess it. I told Sherry, I love Alpha. I went and I was there a part of that. I love it because any way an environment 
we can begin to invite people that don't know Jesus and we can steward the hope that we have and give it away. Are you kidding? I'm in. Anyway, that we could have over 200 families show up to a location to be loved and blessed by the biblical mandate to give to them and we get to share the hope of Christ. I'm in. I know on our pantry day we had... We had, I think, a couple, but one specific patron say, can I see a pastor? They couldn't do that at the school. Can I see a pastor? And I know that person met with Sherry and just, <laughs> you kidding? Paul's saying that. He's saying, I, I, have you, surely you've heard about the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. I'm giving, this is for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. That's God's word as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight to the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to people in other generations, as it is now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs with Israel. That's us. We're all non-Jewish. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. Can you just look at that for a minute? This, this struck me. We're sharers together. Community church will only be as effective as we steward and share the hope of Christ in us together. It will not be by the pastor on Sunday. It will not be the program on Wednesday. It will not be any one program or thing that's done here. It will be how we share together in the administration of the grace given to each of us. Friends, we are not meant to be Christians in isolation. We are meant to be believers in Christ that are giving away the hope of Christ. And so then Paul says it again, for this reason, I kneel. Because of the overwhelming reality of God in my life and what he's done for me. The overwhelming responsibility to share the hope of Christ and to give that away as much as I can. That over, I kneel. Because I didn't earn it, Ephesians 2, and didn't deserve it, I kneel. Because he answered a... Uh, uh, he filled a, a space in my life that I could not have answered with anything else. I kneel. I kneel before the Father with whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I kneel. What does that look like? These pictures have been rocking my world. I just shared these with a church I spoke at in California. This is a man in Italy. The earthquake in Italy. Friends, he's not kneeling because he wishes his home didn't fall down. It's because of the loss and love for people he loves. Paul's kneeling is a weightiness, is, is, is a sense of like, I feel the, the burden, the responsibility to administrate this hope I have because I love people. I love people. I love all the people in Green Bay. I love our church and you attending here and to feel that burden. This is what Paul's talking about. I kneel. 
How do we hear God's voice? I think we first must find ourselves kneeling. We kneel to what is most important to us. That was an observation just on my study break. I realized I'm kneeling to things in my life. It might be my kneeling to my schedule because that's most important. I kneel to my bank account because that's most important. I kneel to certain relationships because I want to stay friends with them. You realize we can kneel to a bunch of things, but Paul's saying, kneel to this. You have been given a grace to steward. Kneel to me. It's an overwhelming sense. Paul says in verse 16, because of that, while I'm kneeling, I pray. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's saying, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And when I pray, it's going to be a source of that strength and direction. Some of you this morning, I'm I'm not hearing his whisper. I'm making 35,000 decisions a day. I'm not really sensing the direction of God. Friends, can I tell you, you need to ask yourself the question, who are you kneeling to? And are you, are you praying that God would guide you in the stewardship of the gospel in your life? Praying that you would feel the burden for brokenness in our city. Feel the burden for people who don't know Christ. Feel the burden. And Paul says, then I also pray that you, being rooted and established in love, just, just for a moment, and I know I'm, I'm going a little bit over here, but I've got to say this to you. Any faith, any Christian faith that's out there that is not rooted in love is not biblical. If it's shame-based, if it's hate-based, if it's criticism-based, nowhere does Jesus give that credibility. It has to be rooted in love. Friends, rooted in love doesn't mean we tolerate any sin. It says we need to love God and and not sin. We need to move away from this. But it means it needs to be rooted in love. It says so that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Do you realize there's a power when we gather, when we sing, when we fellowship? Why are we saying getting in groups? Not because there's some weird book that says get people in groups. It's because you, rooted together in love, can experience a power together with God's people. Do you realize there are people that you, God wants you to be friends with, that you may not pick as friends, but are going to be the best thing for you? That you're going to feel a sense of power together with them. To grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep the love of Christ is, and to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness with God. Our prayer life is our source for how we love God and others. We're, we're going to go to worship, and I did this the last time in our study, my study break, and I don't have this nice directive as we go to communion. We take communion here. If you've never been here before, we take communion every week. The scripture says do this as often as you can. It doesn't say once a month in the scriptures. It says do this often. And the the precursor is you got to know Christ. But it also says do this and remember. You know what we forget? 
We're not trying to earn our faith. You know, we forget that our faith is not just for us. It's for people. You know, we forget that the God of the universe is whispering. He's he's trying to get your attention. He's calling you out of the caves. He wants to speak to you in places that you've never heard his voice. Father, this morning as we go to communion, we ask that your spirit convict us wherever it needs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.